Thank you all for being here today. I know it's a holiday weekend and a lot of folks um, have scattered to the four corners of the world, but uh, it's good to see all of you here. It's good to be together on this particular Sunday. I'm glad to see all of you. I want to especially thank those of you who got the memo about the seersucker Sunday. And uh, (laughs) thank you for your cooperation. And now we put them up until Memorial Day so that the fashion police don't pull us over. uh, But it's good to see you. It's good to be with you. I hope it was uh, been a good weekend for you so far. Uh, I think everybody's team won yesterday unless you are from one of those little bitty high schools that everybody plays on the opening day of the season. But but it was good. It was fun, and I understand it's also was the opening of dove season. I'm I'm not a hunter, but I know sometimes that pulls you in two different directions: the the stadium or the or the field. So, uh, but we all have choices to make, and I'm glad you've chosen to be here today. And we're going to continue our look at the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, and really. Truly, this is the last Sunday in John's Gospel. Not to say we won't revisit it from time to time. I hope that we will. But it's a lengthy chapter. We've been talking about the bread of life and a lot of other important things. And one more topic today from John chapter 6. And I want to begin reading with verse 59. John 6, verse 59. And I would ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? But Jesus, being aware that his disciples were complaining about it, said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But among you there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the first who were the ones that did not believe and who was the one that would, not, that would betray him. And he said, for this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, do you also wish to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. The young boy was fighting so hard to hold back his tears. I'm running away from home when I asked what was wrong. Why are you running away from home? I'm tired of everybody telling me what to do. My mama, my daddy, my big bad sister. How old are you? Six. Old enough to be left alone once in a while. What kind of plans do you have for running away? Well, I sort of packed my backpack last night. I've got a spoon out of the kitchen and got a carton of Oreo ice cream that I put in my backpack last night. And I'm... I'm ready to go. Well, what route do you plan to take? Well, I'm not too sure as long as I don't have to cross any streets. So what's your destination? If you leave home, where will you go? Well, I hadn't thought about that. Young woman was into her second 
week of her first semester at college, she couldn't take her eyes off that graded examination on the desk in front of her. She had never come close to failing anything in her whole life, and she was despondent. She studied so hard, night and day, every waking moment studied. And then there was her roommate who was involved in things to which she had never been exposed before, things that made her uncomfortable. The food was awful. She had no friends on the campus or anywhere in the town where the school was located. And her boyfriend was about to finish up basic training and they were going to send him somewhere that she couldn't even pronounce. And she was miserable. If misery loved company, misery was really hanging out with her. And so she decided to go see the dean of students and see if he had any advice. And she went to see him and they talked for a while. And he said, so you believe the best thing you can do is leave school right now? And she said, yeah. He asked, if you leave school, what will you do? Where will you go? And she said, I don't know. He was in his late 50s and reasonably good health, had reached the point, though, where he dreaded going to work in the morning. And it wasn't always like that. He enjoyed his work. He enjoyed the crew that worked for him. It was hard work and long hours. The pay was only fair to Midland, but he liked the responsibility and he liked the people who worked for him. It made him feel good about himself. His formal education had ended after the ninth grade, but he'd always been an honor student in the school of experience. He received the news to the grapevine. The company had been sold to a group of foreign investors and they planned to implement a policy that every supervisor had to have at least a bachelor's degree from an accredited institution. Those supervisors currently employed without a degree could become a member of someone's crew. And soon he was taking directions from a 23-year-old. He went to see the plant manager. I'm thinking about leaving. And the plant manager said, well, your retirement plan is not quite where it needs to be. And who's going to hire a 58-year-old man these days? And besides, you would lose your insurance. And your wife, she's not doing so well, is she? What I'm getting at is this. If you leave this outfit, if you leave this company, what will you do? Where will you go? I ain't sure It's what it sounded like he said as he slammed the office door on the way back to his car. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. Jesus said to the twelve, do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter, never the one to sit back and not say anything, Simon Peter said, Lord, if we left you, where would we go? We'll go back to verse 60 in the gospel lesson now and talk about this for just just a few minutes. And begin there trying to set this conversation between Jesus and Simon Peter in some kind of context and uh, see if it has anything to say to us. Many of Jesus' disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult saying. This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
The Greek word here is skleros, and pardon my pronunciation if it's not right on target, S-K-L-E-R-O-S. It means not hard to understand, but hard to accept. The comment about a hard saying should not be confined to the last words that Jesus spoke. We need to look at everything he had been talking about in, in this sixth chapter of John. The last words, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. But if you back up, there's some more difficult language there about being food and drink to those who believed in him, accepting his intimate relationship with the Father, consuming his flesh and blood. All of this, those things we've been talking about the past few weeks, all of this was referred to as the hard saying, the difficult saying. And because of this hard saying, the text is pretty clear, many of Jesus' followers abandoned the ship. Said, this is it, Lord. We can't take any more. Does this mean that it's unsafe to gauge the faithfulness and the spiritual value of any ministry by the number of folk that, that show up? We've all heard folks say that if only the church would preach the real gospel, but we can't always agree on what that is, can we? If only folk would preach the real gospel, the pews would be packed out. And folks who say this sometimes have to face some difficult facts like those recorded in our gospel lesson. Consistently, unswervingly, Jesus stuck to message. He was always on message. And he stuck to his gun, so to speak. And whether folks were alienated or attracted, whether they thronged to hear what he would say, or whether they would not listen at all and would close their ears to him, he stuck with his message. And sometimes we think maybe we're more clever than Jesus. We can lift him up, we can proclaim his name, but not always stick to his message, and folks will come anyway. I think the popularity, the size of the crowd, not to cast any dispersion on the larger churches that are doing some great work. But you can't always tell by the size of the group. This is a hard saying that Jesus had been talking about, and not surprisingly, some folks were offended. Some of his own people were offended. He, he said that to them. I hope that if this offends you, no doubt, one point of offense was the language, eat my flesh, drink my blood. It went against their dietary laws, the things that they had learned and heard all of their lives. It was difficult for them. Sounded like cannibalism to some folks, and they just didn't quite get it. Part of the misunderstanding was the literal understanding and the spiritual understanding of eat my flesh, drink my blood. The spiritual symbolism there was difficult for some of these folks, and they would not have that. They were offended by his language. Is it true? It is true that the spirit gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and truth. They were offended. It was a stumbling block. And a second stumbling block was the Jesus' refusal to accept what the crowd was trying to do. They wanted to make him another Moses, the prophet that had come into the world, the one that was going to do great things just for them and make their life easier instead of calling them to follow him, to take up a cross. They wanted a Messiah 
that they could shape in their image, and not a Messiah who had come to shape them in the image of God. And isn't that still true today so often? Don't we consciously or subconsciously hold on to an image of Jesus as one that we want to shape and mold, one that's going to do wonderful things for us and take care of us and not call us to the difficult task of loving all people? We want to mold him into our image. And I bet we all have our list. We may not have it written down, we may not have it in our pocket, but we've got it somewhere, our list, of what we would like the Messiah to do for us. Don't we all have a list of what we would like Jesus to do to make our lives easier in this world? Um, It would vary with people. Some folks would say, well, cut the taxes in half and double the income. Take away all our aches and pains. Heal all of our broken relationships. Make our dreaded task pleasant and make our pleasant task even more enjoyable. And on the for others list, the list of things we would like him to do for folks we love and care about, heal the crippled arms and and legs, house the homeless, cure the mentally ill, feed the hungry, turn the lost toward God. And aren't all these things that the Messiah has called us to do? And yet sometimes we say, Jesus, just take care of it. Like Jesus is our our butler or our servant. And he's called us to do these things and he's promised to be with us always. Yet we act like we're so afraid and so alone sometimes of what might happen if we do what he's called us to do. Another offense in the words and the works of Jesus is the offense of grace. Now that may sound funny to be who's offended by grace Sometimes it's stated very gently. We have life from the bread which God gives, God's grace. Other times it's stated bluntly. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless it's granted by the Father. It's a hard saying, isn't it? But the issue is clear. Do we preside over life? Demanding that Jesus do what Moses did and and provide for our needs? Or do we ask him to shape our hearts and to shape our life. The bread from heaven is a gift, but it nourishes us to love and serve one another and not just to meet our needs and to take care of us. The offense of God's grace is evidence elsewhere too. It's all through the scriptures. A couple of stories in the New Testament come to mind. One's the parable of the prodigal son. I'll be honest with me. You don't have to say out loud. You can, but you don't have to. Doesn't this story bother you sometimes? Here's this kid demanding his share of inheritance while his dad is still alive, which was terribly offensive kind of thing to do back in that day. Still is. And out he went into the world, blew all of his money partying and carrying on and just cutting up and doing all the things that we're told not to do. Has it ever bothered you that when he came home, he got the ring on his finger and the shoes on his feet and the robe on his back and they killed the best calf that they had and they had a cookout like nobody had seen in those parts for years and the band played until late into the night and they partied and celebrated because he was home. That story offends some people. That's not hard to imagine, is it? And you remember another story Jesus told about the workers in the vineyard. Guy went out to hire some help. Hired some early in the morning, others throughout the day, and some right near the end of the day. 
And the folks who worked an hour got the same paycheck as those who worked all day. If that's a story about the grace of God, can you see how that's offensive? Rubs us the wrong way. This is a hard saying. Some of what he was trying to teach here. And it said, after this, many withdrew from him and did not come back. Jesus said to the twelve, you folks want to leave too? And then it was Simon Peter, once again, who spoke up with a confession similar to what we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where you remember Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And it's here where Peter speaks up and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. And we have believed that you are the Holy One of God sent here among us. Have any of us ever thought about running away from our faith in Jesus? Have there been times when maybe a prayer wasn't answered like you hoped it would be? Or something else was going on in your life? Or you were just despondent with the way the world is headed? And you just said, well, I'm not helping. I'm leaving this. You ever thought about quitting on the church because the body of Christ sometimes is full of folk like me and you and we we don't always live up to our obligations. We thought about walking away. Where would we go? If we're thinking about ever leaving Jesus the Christ, where would we go? Who else can offer what he offers? You know, we don't run away from home unless we've got somewhere else to go. Don't quit school unless you've got another plan. (laughs) You don't leave your job unless you've got it figured out how you're going to make it in this world without it. You don't leave Jesus unless you've got somewhere else to go or someone else to go to. And since there is no one else like Jesus, I hope we'll stick around. Amen.